Hello and welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. It's basketball season and our topic today is basketball injuries. I'm Dr. Sherwin Ho from the University of Chicago and my guest today is Dr. Timothy Taft from the University of North Carolina, a practicing orthopedic surgeon and the head team physician at Chapel Hill for the past some 30 plus years. Is that right, Tim? That's exactly right. I've uh, been taking care of the Tar Heels since 1973. Well, thanks for being on the show today. As you know, the topic today is basketball injuries. And as we roll into the playoffs here, I understand you're the team physician for both the men's and women's teams at North Carolina, and both of which are currently number one seeds. That's exactly right. As the director of sports medicine here at the University of North Carolina, I am ultimately responsible for all 28 teams, but I do take care of both the men and women's teams, both of whom have number one seeds. So we're looking forward to a successful march, but it's going to be very hectic for uh, me as I bounce back and forth from place to place. So this is obviously a stressful and busy time for you. From a medical point of view, any issues going forward here? Well, as a matter of fact, we're really in pretty good shape. We've had a number of injury problems throughout the season on both teams, but everybody seems to be recovering at a great time. So we look forward to going into March healthy for the first time in a couple of months on both the men's side and the women's side. I'm looking forward to uh, the Tar Heels doing well. Well, as we know, conditioning as well as luck plays a role in keeping our athletes healthy and on the court. In your long experience with basketball injuries, we know that there's a few injuries that pop up now and again that seem to be the bane of our existence. Over the course of your career, what are the injuries that have most plagued you, the ones that have kept your athletes off the court? Well, there are several. Certainly, we have more ACL injuries on the women's side. In my 35 years taking care of Carolina, we have had three of our men who have torn their ACLs. We have never fielded a women's team that didn't have at least one person on it who had torn their ACL. So ACL injuries on the women's side are clearly a problem. On more the men's side, the fractures of the fifth metatarsal. The metatarsal is the long bone between the ankle and the toes, and the fifth is the one on the side of the little toe, Those fractures and stress reactions cause us a disproportionate amount of problem in our basketball players. So we know that foot and ankle injuries, particularly on the men's side, far outweigh the other injuries. And you're talking about the fifth metatarsal fracture, which in common circles we refer to as a Jones fracture. For our audience out there who are taking care of a lot of basketball athletes, what is the danger or the difficulty in managing the so-called Jones fracture, and, and how do you distinguish it from the more common dancer's fractures that we see in the fifth metatarsal? We're talking about the smallest bone in the foot on the lateral side. And we're talking about the metatarsal between the ankle and the small toe, and it's on the little toe side. And this is at the proximal end, or a fracture at the end toward the ankle. And basically, there are two fractures that occur in this region. One is a fracture of the tuberosity, which is the bump at the proximal end. You can feel that on the side of your foot. That's usually torn in the same mechanism that one sprains the ankle. And that's a fairly trivial injury that we treat like a sore foot and expect these athletes to recover and get back within a matter of a week or so. The so-called Jones fracture, which is just a centimeter, just a half an inch 
further toward the little toe than the tuberosity fracture is particularly troublesome because it's an area that has a poor blood supply and these people will be slow to heal and sometimes do not heal. And so we are often confronted with the option of treating them surgically. We usually put a screw in. We may or may not bone graft it. And it is usually a season-ending injury, but not always. So the Jones fracture is one that bothers us a lot. There is often a prodrome to that injury. It is frequently a stress fracture. And so people will have had some pain in that region for several weeks or even a month before they actually fracture. And those are the ones that we try to treat with shoe adjustments to try to redistribute the weight-bearing forces in the foot and keep them from actually breaking through. In our practice, we oftentimes end up operating on a lot of these injuries, particularly in the basketball players. Something about the demands of the basketball athlete that really put a lot of stress on that bone. A couple of comments from you. What is it about the basketball athlete that makes this fracture such a difficult one to treat? I think it's because of the landing from jumping. There's a lot of impact on this area. And a lot of them have subtle malalignments of their foot. So we have spent a lot of time with orthotics in our athletes to try to relieve the stress on the lateral side of the foot. The two groups on our campus that have the most trouble with the fifth metatarsal fractures are our basketball men and our soccer women. Both of them have had a fair number of these injuries. We saw a significant decrease in the number of Jones fractures in our men when we moved into the Smith Center 20 years ago. We have a spring-loaded floor, and so our floor is very soft and very forgiving. And our incidence of overuse and abuse and stress injuries dropped dramatically when we got onto that softer floor. And our kids really like playing in the Smith Center. What's the role of surgery in your practice for these Jones fractures? The role of surgery in our practice is if they get a Jones fracture, we will treat them with a screw, and we may or may not actually bone graft them at the same time. But for the most part, we think that that is an injury that needs to be treated surgically and that the results of obtaining a satisfactory union go way up if indeed they are operated on. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Sherwin Ho, and I'm speaking with Dr. Timothy Taft, head team physician of the University of North Carolina Athletics. Tim, let's move on to another injury that we see in our basketball athletes, and that would be stress fractures in other parts of the body, particularly the tibial shaft or the leg stress fracture. How do you manage those? With people that have pain over the tibia, we first of all have to differentiate a stress fracture from shin splints. But if we get an x-ray and we see the so-called dreaded black line, which is a dark line through the cortex, we will generally recommend that they have an intramedullary rod placed. So we will treat those surgically rather than try to manage them non-operatively. And very seldom do you end up having to put a screw or rod down that stress fracture as opposed to the Jones fracture. Now, if we truly see a stress fracture of the tibia, we will treat it surgically. If we see the dreaded black line, if we have somebody that has a fracture of the tibia, 
we're pretty aggressive surgically with putting a rod into the tibia. You remember that thing that Sam Bowie had a couple of decades ago that basically ended his career. You know, he, they treated him non-operatively and then operatively, and he just had a terrible time recovering from that tibia stress fracture. So, you know, we're pretty aggressive once we make the diagnosis of a true stress fracture that we see on plain x-rays. If we've got a hot bone scan, an increased uptake of tracer on the bone scan, or if we've got some edema in the bone with the MRI, but we do not see the stress fracture on plain films, we will treat those people non-operatively. Looking back over your career, you've taken care of a lot of well-known and less well-known athletes. As you look back over your career, are there any injuries or incidents that come to mind in the course of your years with the North Carolina basketball team? Oh, yeah. As you might imagine, we've had the opportunity to take care of all the kids that have come through Chapel Hill for the last three decades. And there are some, both some amusing anecdotes and some serious injuries that have occurred. The first of kind of an amusing anecdote, when Mitch Kupchak was here, Mitch is now the general manager of the Lakers, he had an injury and developed diplopia, or he had double vision. Now, normally, double vision is horizontal. Mitch's injury happened to be such that the double vision he had was vertical, which is a very uncommon type of diplopia. He was a good shooter, but his shooting percentage actually went up during the time that he had double vision. And we were talking with him about this, trying to help understand it, because the neurosurgeons and the ophthalmologists thought it was safe and reasonable for him to play. And Mitch's response was that one of the things that he had learned is that if the ball went through the upper basket, it always went through the lower basket. And so the diplopia proved to be maybe a benefit to him as opposed to a real disadvantage. You know, speaking of well-known athletes, in your position as the head team physician of a very successful and nationally known program, as well as a basketball-crazy state, I'm sure there's a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of second-guessing from the fans and patients and players and so on and so forth, and a lot of pressure on you to get some of these athletes back and questions about what the doctors are doing. In today's day and age, I know the Internet has become a big referral to or a big source of information for those fans through which a lot of second-guessing occurs. What's your thoughts about the Internet MD, so to speak, and the role of these uh, so-called bloggers? I have a lot of problems with the irresponsibility, rumor, and misinformation that the bloggers distribute. And there's a huge amount of that. I think in terms of a couple of years ago, we had an athlete who had an illness that he did not want the public to know what his illness was. And that's a very reasonable request. And that is a request that we as physicians need to honor. He was going to miss several games. And so the information that we sent out through the sports information office here was that he had an illness and would miss a couple of games. But we didn't say what the illness was. Within 24 hours, there were authoritative comments on the Internet that said he's got cancer and he's only been given several weeks to live or he's got an honor court violation or he has flunked out of school. And all of these things were just absolutely wrong. 
And yet, when they get written on the Internet and they get spread from one blogger to the next, they assume a certain validity that is just plain incorrect. There's a lot of speculation about the way things are and are not managed that is uh, a reflection often of the ignorance of the people that are writing these things. So I'm fairly harsh on them. It's made my life a lot harder because people make up information and then distribute it as if it were fact. And there is no accountability because they can do this anonymously. And I just have a lot of trouble with that. Tim, I want to thank you for being my guest today on ReachMD. This is Dr. Sherwin Ho, and my guest today has been Dr. Timothy Taft, head team physician of the University of North Carolina Tar Heels. Tim, thanks for being on the show. You're welcome, and I've enjoyed it. To comment or listen to our full library of podcasts, including this show, visit us at ReachMD.com. Register with the promo code RADIO and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.